This is the Post America Podcast. That's right, motherfucker. What the fuck you know about podcasting? This is our shit. Post America. Macho Black, Richie Crutch, Chrissy the Baboon. Post America Podcast, son. Download that shit, motherfucker. Yo, what's up, everybody? Post-America Podcast, we're back. We got a lot of good feedback off the last uh, episode with Aaron from Death Threat, very open and honest guy. And uh, we're going to continue with an old friend I haven't heard from in a while. We have Patrick from Reaper Records. What's up, Patrick? Hey, what's going on? Not much, man. It's been a minute. I thought you were dead. What happened? Uh, I don't know. I guess laying low, man. Laying low. Yeah, I, uh, we used to talk a lot more often, but then uh, you kind of made a move to more of a, a secluded life, like a rancher and all of that. I heard stuff like that. Any truth to that? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, well, the secluded part, I still, well, I don't know where to start, really. But uh, I guess Reaper slowed down a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago when my mom died, uh, I went to Germany and, uh, had to take care of her for seven months and had to leave my house here in upstate New York. And, um, a few years before that, I started getting into ranching, which, uh, I never sat on a horse until I was like, uh, I think I turned 34. So all these weird things happened. And then when my mom died, it was like, all right, I'm kind of out of here. Um, and that coincided with turnstile leaving. So that it was kind of like a positive, perfect storm of things freeing up and me kind of, I don't know, just trying to focus on other stuff. Uh, and um, yeah, I don't know. So I just kind of, so it was only a few years ago then you had a big life change. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it a life change. You know, it's not like I had like some type of like midlife crisis and kind of like, you know, I don't think I changed as a person or anything like that. Or it's not like I was like, oh, fuck all this. It's just that things kind of like shift. Like it was like kind of like just kind of like a, you know, how sometimes you don't try to make changes, but it's just kind of like, Things just happen, and all of a sudden, it's just adjustments yeah. just oh, kind of, yeah. like, fall into place. And especially the whole ranching thing. Like, I grew up in a in the sixth biggest city, in, just in a huge industrial city. You know, I had a fucking key to, like, an apartment key six years old. You know, like, taking a bus back and forth in our city. Like, you know, like, just city kid you know like and uh but i always liked being outdoors and stuff and uh and through this freak accident i got into into this ranching thing and uh and that was just the perfect the perfect change in uh i don't know just balancing out things you know my mom's death was definitely kind of like um you know, an eye-opener and what's important, what's not, as cliche as that sounds. She died in 2015, 
In 2014, my granddad died. In 2013, my grandma died. And then the year after my mom, 2016, her brother died. So it was oh, four man. years. It was four years in a row of me just going to Germany, like, you know, funeral after funeral for my mom. I was there seven months straight taking care of her, um, it, you know. So even though the ranching thing started, you know, a couple of years before her death, um, you know, once she passed, I was I was just out there eight months out of the year, worked. And uh, I would only come home to check on things here. Um, I rented my house to a friend that uh, needed a place with her two kids um, because her husband left her overnight. And uh, so it was perfect. I basically rented my house furnished. I just emptied out the cupboards and uh, the closets and, you know, everything just kind of fell into place. So, well, that's, uh, uh, that's a brutal... Uh a brutal set of circumstances you had there. A lot of death all at once. And yeah, but that's... You know. yeah, that's life, I suppose. But you mentioned Germany. So let's take you back to uh, to the beginning. What's where, what, where in Germany are you from? Essen. Essen. Okay, Essen. I, when I think of Essen, I always think of a, a city, an industrial-looking city that's very fond of really heavy music. That's like my oh. of Essen throughout the years. Creator, man. Yeah, wow. Creators from Essen? I didn't know that. Yep. They were from Germany. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Miller, um, the singer, I mean, at the first couple big shows I went to, uh, you know, he was always there, hardcore shows. Um, AF, sick of it all, he would always be there. Um, and uh, as a matter of fact, I don't think you guys ever played there because this venue um, called Zeki Karl, um, shut down, I think, in the late 90s. I'm not quite sure. But anyways, this place that used to have these killer shows that Snapshot played there. Um, I saw NoFX there in the early, early 90s, which was fucking insane. Fucking, I saw... I, anyways, so they had their practice room in that venue. Um, so he would always be at all the hardcore shows. Um, and then Sodom... Uh, was the next town over. Um, wow. So, so yeah, I mean, that was like the fresh metal capital of Germany. Um, when, I, when I was in junior high, we had a class where we, uh, I don't know what the hell you called it, but we would make shit, and we made a, like a screen print for a T-shirt, yep. and I, I did the creator logo back then. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah awesome. I never, I actually never liked them. I, uh, out of all the fresh metal shit that I love, they were kind of, I don't know, I could never get into it. Well, anybody um, with long hair, I didn't like, but I, I, I did get my hand on that logo and I wanted to make the t-shirt, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a cool city. I have good memories of that city. I, I knew you were from Germany. I didn't realize you were from there. So you're from Essen. You're just a wee little young German lad doing your thing. When did like heavy music and the interest in that whole that whole sort of uh, culture, whether it's punk, you know, metal, hardcore. When did that hit you? At what age? Twelve. Uh, oh, that's pretty young. Yeah. 12. What got you into that at that at twelve years old? <clears throat> you know, older kids um, in high school. Um, well, you know, the school system is a little different. So high school starts in fifth grade and takes you through ten in Germany. So it's basically, you know, 10, 11 years old is fifth grade. And then 
you know, so on. Uh, so I think sixth, seventh grade um, is, uh, you know, older kids having shit written on their backpacks and T-shirts and just skate kids. And um, and then I, I can't remember this kid's name, but he showed up with a homemade Youth of Today shirt. And... Um, and it had the can close. It had the can close my eyes cover on it, um, like the record cover on it, and uh, and that was just always a conversation piece. And that kid um, used to wear that shirt. Fucking it. Uh, now looking back, it seems like he had that shirt on every day, and <laughs> um, and he had the shirt made uh, at this place called Right Stuff. Um, it was like a place where you could buy like uh, posters, like band posters and, you know, music posters and shit like that. And they had a heat transfer press. So you could just bring whatever images and they would transfer it on a heat transfer. And uh, they had blank shirts and you paid for it and they, boom, pressed it on a shirt. Wow, you can and, make your own bootlegs there. Yes. And... <laughs> uh, and eventually, up until they closed that place in 92 or 93, maybe, uh, it, you know, we all made shirts there. Um, you know, it was, I don't know, 10 bucks or something for the shirt and the print. And, you know, we had all sorts of, you know, one-off band shirts. You know, whatever record we would buy, we would drag down there. But anyway, so this kid and a couple older kids... Um, you know, however they got into it, but they got us all into it. And then eventually mixtapes were handed down and, uh, you know, kind of like, I mean, run off the mill, you know, you just kind of picked it up from older kids and you were just kind of attracted to the, to the imagery. And, um, among, among like the older kids, which, which like scene were they into? Like, if, if were they you into know, the skate that scene and stuff? Because you know when you mentioned you, well, I didn't know. I know that kid specific was specifically was definitely not straight edge because he smoked all the time. <laughs> I know that for a fact. Uh, but um, you know, back then, like the whole, uh, you know, whatever you like, you know, it wasn't as like, you know, now like you're into something and you can't fuck with anything else. You know, like back then it was kind of like, like I used to love NoFX, early NoFX before they got like big, you know, like that was yeah. my favorite shit. And I was a straight edge kid, you know, like I used to love their, their first couple of records, you know, making fun of vegetarians and shit. But, but that kid loved straight edge hardcore, but was definitely not straight edge, but he was a skater dude, you know? So I think, again, this is like super cliche, but it was like all, skate kids listening to anything that they got their hands on through Thresher. Whatever made an appearance music-wise in Thresher, they, you know, picked up on and listened to, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool to see when, you know, when I talk to different people that so many, so many of the early, you know, the, the early things that, that, that drew them into the scene are all so similar you know and it's yeah oh yeah it's like, i mean that's yeah absolutely. how important those those magazines were back then and yeah. and some of the early like v vcr vhs tapes of skaters and oh yeah yeah absolutely. so so important worldwide it's it's really cool yeah i just recently i uh i uh 
I just ordered myself two dead Kennedy shirts of, uh, of eBay. And uh, they came here and they both didn't fit me. And they fucking were, the prints were all shitty. And my, uh, my girlfriend is like, is like uh, why are these shirts sitting here? And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to put them in Salvation Army pile. And she's like, they just came in the mail. And I'm like, yeah, I got on this like Spotify bender and then got all hyped up and ordered these two uh-huh. shirts. And, you know, like I got all carried away and they were like fucking 12 bucks each. So who cares? And she's like laughing. And uh, but that night uh, I literally on Spotify, even though I have all that shit on vinyl, I was sitting on the computer working and then just went from one record to the next. And then I remembered this Dead Kennedy's VHS tape. Um, and this must have been 90 or 91, uh, got handed around in, in our school. Um, and, uh, and it took me back because there was one VHS tape that now that you bring up, you know, VCR and whatnot. And, uh, you know, like every kid that had a skateboard in that high school with, I don't know, maybe a thousand kids. And there was maybe. I don't know, let's say 15 kids that skated, you know, in different classes, different grades, that tape made it through every household and, you know, like influenced those kids and, and those kids influenced other kids. And it's all this one tape, you know, and uh, leave alone a band that's from a different continent and, um, you know, so on and so forth. So it's really only, and how many bands had VHS tapes back then? You know? Yeah. Um, so it's for it's me the really big one was uh, that that sick of it all agnostic front gorilla business. Oh yeah. That oh was, yeah. Uh, that one made the round. <laughs> I'm, so many I'm, I'm looking at it from my couch right now. Oh, you got that nice. I, yeah, in my head, I imagine that you're like an insane sick collector. Like, am I right or wrong? Yeah, I. I recently sold a bunch of stuff. Nothing, nothing really that I would consider good. But I started recently getting rid of a lot of stuff just because it's uh, I don't know. Mostly it's just sitting around here, and somebody else I don't know. Somebody else can can show it off to their friends and pretend they were part of something before they were born. <laughs> have, have fun with it you know but um but uh yeah i mean you know it's been i don't know 30 30 something years of just picking shit up and not losing it somehow magically you know now listen um, you're 12 years old that's how you got in some local kids the kind of the, the similar story we all have like what when do you hit the next step where you decide to be like an active part of the scene or like play in a band or or do anything like that when does that hit you uh let's see so well before we get into that let me let me just throw in there real quick that it took me at least two years or so before I figured out that there was an actual hardcore scene beyond mm. this, this venue I talked about that creator practice at where I saw sick of it all. And, you know, all these bigger bands that came through, I had no idea that there was actually 
a scene outside of these like bands that I almost consider rock bands, right? Because Sick of It All back then, um, I remember seeing them on the Just Look Around tour, which is, you know, not even that early on in their career, but there was like probably a thousand people at that show in Essen. It was, it was huge, right? Yeah. And um, maybe a thousand is a little much, but there was probably a good 800 people at that show. Um, and uh, so it, it took me up until maybe like 90, late 92, early 93 to figure out that there's an actual scene. And, um, and uh, I started picking up some fanzines and uh, started writing people and then became friends with people that did those scenes and then uh, eventually became uh, friends with people that I ended up being in True Blue with, mainly my, my, uh, one of my best friends, uh, Renee, who was a drummer, who also uh, drummed in this band Spawn that we were in together. And, um, and, and those kids um, who are like a year or two older, they were already all like kind of like um, you know, kind of like tied into like they were friends with Rob from Born from Pain already. Oh, okay. um, and um, you know, so they started like getting getting their feet wet with like the whole underground thing. You know, a few years before I kind of like showed up. Um, um, so. Uh, so yeah, due to their age advantage and just kind of like, I guess they just also just, um, you know, I guess better connections and, you know, so much is just the luck of the draw who you know and, you know, the schools you're in. Like I was in a school that had like 90% Turkish kids. So I was like, you know, a minority human being that was into something that was not techno music, you know, like, um, and, uh, yeah. And then, uh, once I met all those guys, Rob and, um, you know, who I've known, um, most of my life at this point, um, Renee and all those guys, um, you know, they were, were in they were like the like uh, a little bit older than you and kind of yeah, yeah 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 I mean you know they were just around within that underground scene um, you know which which I didn't really step a toe until ninety three or so you know mm. um, and uh, and what I was also what what do you ahead. think like when you go back like and I always I always like to ask my my European friends like. Who was the most like influential European band back in the early nineties? Do you think that kind of brought like uh, like legitimacy to Europe in hardcore? Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't know. It's it's really hard to say because some of the bands would probably most of the people that will listen to this will make no. I I really don't know. In my head, it's a band called Jingo Delonge, mm -hmm. um, who also toured with Bad Brains in the uh, 
maybe 87 or 88. Where were they from? Berlin. Okay. Um, They had a female singer. And uh, I mean, they're as good as it gets for like a band that can play the instruments and are fast and, you know, not just a oofta oofta kind of kind of band, you know. Um, Do they still play at all or no? No. Um, Because that name sounded familiar. Yeah, I mean, they have like probably like four or five full lengths. Okay. They they ended up on a major and uh, and then like anything else just kind of like fizzled out. But they are one of, I'd like to think as far as hardcore punk heavy, um, you know, one of the um, big deal bands. Um, There was a band called Tudor Hospital from the 80s that was really good. Um, you know, and then all sorts of bands that we were kind of involved in. Rob was in a band called Feeding the Fire Before Born from Pain um, that did a lot. Uh, um, you know, there was a ton of bands from Italy that were great. Um, I mean, that you know, there was so much. It just never really, like, you know, um, heresy from England. Oh, I know of that one. I know that one. Um, yeah, you know, there's so many, but they're just kind of like, I don't know. Either yeah, I, I guess I become familiar with European hardcore more like, uh, you know, in the '90s when yeah, I think I think European hardcore made a big mark with like the metalcore sound. You know, that's when uh, I think a lot of the American kids like took notice just because it was more available by that time too like the bands like you know congress and uh uh you know kickback and when all those type of bands were playing like they they had a pretty decent name over here you know people people knew of them and people are still interested in those bands over here right yeah i mean those were all contemporary bands yeah yeah you know when i was in bands um but they just kind of like you know, I know a lot of people love Kickback. I I always got along great with Stefan and some of the other guys in the band of the earlier lineup, but I never cared for them musically or I can't stand his vocals. <laughs> like, I could yeah. never get into it. Rough vocals um, for sure, right? Yeah, you know, but he's a great dude, you know. Um, the sick and uh, and uh, same with Congress, you know, the guitar player, Yost. You know, he was always awesome to be around. And, uh, and, um, but again, a band that I never really could get behind musically, you know. And, uh, and, uh, but yeah, the, I mean, in general, metalcore was something that me and the, the people that I kind of like was close with, we never really like, um, got into, you know, we were always like either straight up hardcore and, you know, New York hardcore. Or, you know um but whatever like anything else you know there's only good music and bad music and you know obviously there's you know yeah you like what you like i'm like that too i'm not into any like the super heavy shit like when it comes to that stuff i love all out war yeah fuck uh, yeah and then you basically know. almost nobody else you know what i mean like right. when it comes to that. but people people would call stigmata metalcore i wouldn't consider them metalcore now that's one of my top 20 hardcore bands you know oh and so, and you, you had the honor of uh, releasing uh, some stigma uh, yeah 
yeah. Um, well, well, let's kick that. Like, what what year did you make the move, and why? Why did you leave Essen, Germany, for the United States? So, uh, I moved here in '01, late '01, and um, the girl I was dating from she was from around this area here uh she ended up moving to germany and uh couldn't really get a grip on you know germany i guess you know See, these she, broads are always a pain in the ass i'll tell you that man they could they just <laughs> puffing up get over all this little bullshit you're moving to germany keep your mouth shut and blend in that's what yeah well she wasn't she wasn't uh she thought she could do it and uh she ended up not and uh well anyways uh besides her not really uh um getting a grip on finding a job and anything germany related uh her mom got really sick her mom got ms really bad suddenly and ended up in a wheelchair and so she was like i want to go back to the states and i'm like well i can't work there you know i there's no way I get a green card or anything. And, you know, at the time we were together for a year and, you know, we were serious, you know, and um, she's, and, you know, somehow we struck a plan to get married. You know, we were like, Oh, um, you know, I mean, it was a serious relationship. So we were like, well, fuck it, let's get married. So we got married and uh, moved here and, uh, I started working and uh, she still didn't start working. So come to find out that Germany wasn't really the problem. Working in general was the problem. <laughs> and, uh, oh, you know, shit. she was just lazy. I, I, well, it was deeper than that, unfortunately. But um, anyways, long story short, you know, three, four years later, there was just no saving the whole deal. And, we split up, and uh, next thing I knew, a month or two later, she was pregnant, and uh, uh, that wasn't my kid. What and, the uh, fuck? <laughs> and that wasn't, uh, you know, that kind of made the whole thing not uh, salvageable. How do you know what your kid was? Black kid, or just you, she told me? <laughs> no, it, it was just, you know, there was no way it was my kid, and, um, you know, so, so. Um, and, uh, so anyway, she, uh, as soon as we were divorced, she married the dad of the kid. And, oh my God, um, Patrick, I feel yeah. horrible. Oh no. I mean, whatever. I mean, that was all. Throw that fucking guy a beating. I don't care how many <laughs> years ago it was. Uh, well, I can also tell you for a fact that he, you know, he's not the happiest guy. I, I learned 10 plus years later, Elo. Uh. so. She's a spreader so, of misery, this this one. Uh, yeah, of sorts. So, um, um, but anyways, you know, not to drift off, but a lot of that is also not her fault. She had some really tough breaks in her childhood that kind of like, you know, got her messed up in the head. A bit. You're a good guy, and, Patrick. Uh, You're a good man. You're a good man. So anyways, back to the core. Or whatever else you want to talk about. So that, anyways, that's how I ended up here. And so, two thousand one, um, you said, right? Yep. And when does the like? Let me let me let me see if I pass this test. Is the first Reaper release two thousand four? 
Are you pretending that you didn't do a little I'm homework? Totally, I'm totally, I'm, I know Reaper Records pretty well. I didn't have All to right. do homework. But I All could right. be wrong. I, am I right or wrong? Well, maybe you know more than I do, but my guess would be that sounds about right. I Fuck, I wanted, I wanted confirmation that I was correct. Uh, dude, my brain, if you know how Vogel loves to say or loves to blame his brain on whatever it is he needs to blame things on? Yeah, yeah. Like, um, my brain doesn't work or whatever. I'm just going to pull that card. You know what? That vocal, he remembers more than anybody. He plays games. Hey, he, I, I, I know. Out of, out of convenience, he doesn't want to remember what he doesn't yeah. want to remember. I'm not fooling I've, nobody. I've been playing that game since 1994 with him. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, there's another band you got you 2004 i'm guessing i could be wrong it might be a little nah, it sound, sounds about right okay and this label reaper records so important because of its its catalog you have like you just mentioned vocal you have error releases you mentioned stigmata earlier of course trapped under ice key signature release um even bands that that may be more obscure that i really like chosen ones with uh, Ruben, I remember you did his release. Yep. Take a face. Yeah, take a f You got so many really, you know, not like a one-style label that's all of this, all of that. Uh, I could go on and on. Um, who, who else? Sheer Terror, of course. You got classic bands like that. Like this, this label and its releases were so key and important in the scene. Like, how did you get such a diversity is that is this your musical taste or are you picking bands that you just saw i think they could do well because if this is your taste you have a real broad you have a, a real wide spectrum of different styles of hardcore it's very it, it's a it's an appealing label as far as the discography no it's definitely my taste you know um i mean honestly i'd say 80 percent of the releases I mean, maybe even 90% of the releases are somehow tied into personal friendships or relationships um, and, uh, you know, happen more or less that way. Um, there's, you know, there's, I, I don't need, I mean, I can think of right now one band, uh, this band there, which is a more recent um you know, band uh, that I put out that I actually hit up more. It's like, hey, I kind of like you guys. Let's do something. Everything else was always kind of like because there was already some type of connection or, uh, you know, an actual friendship of sorts or, um, uh, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But it's it definitely, um, it, you know, there isn't one release where I was like, uh, you know, oh, I should do this. This is going to be a good move. You know, I, Bane, Bane hit me up uh, years ago to do a record. And I, I told Bobby, you know, I was like, hey, man, you know, I, I love you, but the band sucks, <laughs> you know, like this. Oh, there, there's, there's no way I'm going to put out, you know, a band where I never liked the single song or, you know. And you could have made a few euros off of that one. Right. You know, but, uh, and there have been, you know, a bunch of releases like that where I was just like, hey, you know, and I've known Bobby from Reach the Sky. You know, I toured with him and, you know, like we, uh, um, 
So you passed on, on Dane. Oh yeah. Hard. <laughs> hard. <laughs> like real hard. You know? That's um, that's that sucks. Yeah, what are you gonna um, do? do you do you appreciate yeah, yeah. Bane now or you still feel the same musically about them? Oh, I think they're terrible bands. I mean you just don't and, like it. That's good. You know, but great pe- I mean this I mean, and they know this, you know, this is this is not to say on a human level, uh, or this is not a judgment of the human character, you know. I just I, I like I like that the, you're able to say you know you know you're able to separate the band from the uh, from the the, the members. And yeah, and it shouldn't you don't be like a big them. deal. Yeah, you musically know? you don't like them, but they're they're good guys. Uh, I like that. Not, yeah, no, they're great people, and they helped out some really close friends. And you know, I don't know if you know that story how they helped out the Promise when their band blew band blew up and no, um, Bane and the Promise toured. This is early 2000s and the promise van catched on fire and and bane basic i mean they lost everything gear clothes i mean some of them were in boxer shorts they had no wallets nothing and and bane basically was like all right here's some t-shirts here's a couple pants here's the you know here's my left shoe somebody was like here's my right shoe i mean you know those people are are good people you know and uh, and that's what i told them i'm like I'm like, it's just, I just always told myself, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give up a day job and make a living off the label. And I'm not going to put out releases just because they sell, you know? And, Mm. uh, and that's how I ended up with chosen ones. I love you, Ruben, when you hear this, because, you know, that was one of those bands that I really loved, but that they didn't, you know, sell anything. And, that's how I ended up with, you know, whatever, you know, the Mapball 7-inch who sold out in no time, you know, but it's all under the same premise, you know, it's something. Yeah, that, wow, I've, you you released a Madball too, so you got Sheer Terror, Madball, uh, who's a, another, old? you got another old school band in there, I just can't fucking think of. Uh, Maximum Penalty. Maximum Penalty, which was like almost like a. Like you revitalized that band and late in their career put out, in my opinion, their be- their best material. Oh yeah, that's great, a, yeah, great. That was that's a dope record, and I always liked the, the production on that record was really. Oh cool. yeah, oh yeah. No, it's it's a very 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 proud of that one, and in my opinion, it's one of the top three New York hardcore records that came down out in the two thousands. Um, yeah, I would probably agree with that. If I had a list uh, in front of me, I would confirm it. But I mean, hold it down is definitely number one. Uh, oh, hold it down from that year. Okay, you know? well, yeah, that's number one, and by by miles, like. Uh, oh yeah, I think that was two thousand, maybe. Um, but yeah, I mean, the um, anyways, you know. Let's do a little a little mad ball a little mad ball uh, information here. A lot of people I talk to on a podcast when we say. You know, we got to talk about Madball. They're the, they're so great. But when I say, "What's your favorite Madball?" Hold it down. That release comes up a lot in people's favorites. What's your personal favorite Madball release? I guess set it off. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it tough, it's to tough to go against set it off. It is. I, I, I you know, I want to say. It it has to be because when that record came out, it changed everything. 
it was the changing of the guards. It was, um, you know, that back cover picture of them in the alley, kind of. It was like, it was just, I don't know. It was a game changer. I mean, I was like, I remember looking at that band picture and I was like, I hope I never see these people in real life. Uh-huh. You know, I was like, this is like some fucking scary shit, you know? And then, yeah. yeah. So that, then, that record was so important. So cool. Yeah. Everything oh, about yeah. it, the look, the sound, uh, the tones. Uh, yeah. I mean, that the sound itself, the whole bounce, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it was really like a change, like everything changed, you know, the the whole idea of it being on a major label, um, you know, which now seems like a joke, like nobody would even like think twice about really what, what band is on what label, you know what I mean? Like, because it almost don't matter anymore. Yeah, um, it did, that, did, that, that, that did take a turn. Like if, if um, like it, at one time the label was uh, like, you might just buy a release because it was on a particular uh, label. Right. Now who thinks twice about that? If you like the band, you like the band, like who's right. who, like did not, this band knock loose is doing great. What label are they on? I have no fucking clue. I don't, I don't yeah. know. I mean, Ben's, I mean, Ben's always at, like, when I talk to Ben's and they're like, Oh, we're not really sure what to do. I always tell them fucking put it out yourself. Yeah. You know, like a label is really just like a, you know, I always tell people the way I see Reaper is just like a fucking good toolbox. You know, like you want to you want to make sure your toolbox has a measuring tape, a hammer, a small pry bar, you know, and, mm-hmm. and fucking, you know, that's what you really you just need something that helps you to accomplish a couple of things, you know. But really, especially in this day and age, what the fuck do you need a label for? You know, yeah. I mean, if you're willing um, to put the time in, you kind of don't, right? I mean, right. But at the same time, it's it's like, you know. But you know what I'm saying, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's like you you. I mean, it's it's um. No, I know exactly what you're saying. It's kind of what I did for my own band. So I just start eventually started my own label and put the stuff out on on there, you know. And, right. But with other people's stuff too. But you know what what I'm doing on this end, I'm sure they could do if they wanted to. You know, right? And Reaper also never has been, you know, like a machine. Like I mean, even though at at you know for a bunch of years we we were going strong, but it was never really like a you know outfit like Deathwish or Bridge Nine where we had like a person handling these things a person you know where it was more than me and a, a a friend or so coming in and helping with mail order you know there was never a you know like like a team like a team you know i mean there does, was this guy does publicity this guy does all the, the right, yeah. right. You know, I mean, there was a team in a sense of that Bosky is always around to to lend a hand with, you know, layout or, you know, whatever. But there was never like something where I could delegate or where somebody, uh, you know, makes a couple hundred bucks a week doing press stuff, you know. 
for the bigger releases, I always had to like hit up Chris Wren and be like, hey, who do you use for press stuff? And he would be like, oh, we're paying so-and-so. And then I would hit up this person and be like, hey, can I pay you on the side to like do promo for Trapped or Not? You know, like I literally had to like find people that really had nothing to do with Reaper. And in, in most cases had no idea about who Reaper is really, you know, and, and, and um, they just sent it out to whoever mattered in 2010. And, and that was it, you know. And, uh, you know, and, uh, but anyways, you know, how much, how much was that all really worth? Who knows, you know, like, but, you know, being in a band, you know, that shit matters and it only matters so much. And, yeah, you know, it's, it's a lot of it is perception and you pay for, for that perception, I guess. And You know what you Reaper know? did good too? The, you, like your logos were good. You're even the Reaper merch that just had the, the label, the label merch itself was always strong and people, you know, wanted it, you know, that's, that's good to be that label, you know? So that comes yeah, in, I think, you, you might not think of it like that, but as an outsider looking in, I think that's a, like an important thing. Yeah. We just, I just always had fun with it too. You know, like I, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of, I recently told somebody that I'm kind of like really, I don't really know how to put this, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, it, it was a good time, but I really feel like Reaper is kind of like, like I just recently put out a record that I, I pressed 500 copies and that's it. And I'm totally happy with that. And, I don't need to think about anything beyond that and there's nothing else planned and it's like Reaper is done without being done. You know what I mean? Like whatever happens happens, but there's so Reaper nothing. now is kind of like it, it, it works at your own, your own convenience, your yeah, own time. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. When you, know, you have the which, desire to do something, you'll do it. Yeah, and it's not even my desire. Something just needs to happen, you know. Like it needs to be somebody else's desire that I want to get behind. Which, and at the which, same time, this could it could turn into a super busy label again at some point. The way, the way you yeah. operate, you might all of a sudden be, you know. Yeah, have, I mean the whole infrastructure is there. It's just that I, I, I guess this is what I'm getting at. What I was talking to to a buddy of mine too is. There's honestly, and this is not a diss to any of the listeners that are in new bands, but I'm just really turned off by what new bands bring to the table. And um, there is, and there is, you know, there's just nothing that really grabs me. You know, there's no personalities really. Um, you know, everybody looks the same, which I mean, that's not kind of like, the biggest surprise because i mean hardcore kind of always had this dress code but you know what i mean there's no yeah, yeah. like certain flair or swagger or people just don't bring their own person like nobody tries to enhance their own natural personality with whatever they want to wear or like you know and then bring that into their music and you know Why what you i mean that like is? you think you think that this particular newer group is uh scared of judgment or something like that why uh, no not at all i think it just reflects society you know i think 
I think when, how old are you? Uh, 40. Okay, so I'll be 44. So I Man, think. Old motherfucker, damn. So I think we are probably the last age bracket that still played outside, truly played outside. Yeah, you know, that true. were like, that were like, fuck this, I'm out of my house. I'm going to be fucking gone till I have to be home. Yeah. And, and so not to sound like a fucking street person or whatever, but when you kind of play on the streets, you kind of like grow up differently than when you sit at home playing video games and watching fucking other people play video games on YouTube, whatever the fuck it is. And if you grow up like that, there's just like, there's no, I don't think there's any room for personalities to really evolve. Mm. You oh, know, like you. you don't, you, you don't really like, you know, like what the fuck, like there's like, everybody is the same basically, you know, like there's no way, I don't know. And I might be totally wrong, but that's how I perceive it from watching my friends, kids and my godson who I love more than anything, but he's a, uh, I mean, every time he considers himself a gamer, I want to fucking grab him by the hair and fucking, you know, like, the newer kids are kind of fruity. I know what you're saying. Like, yeah, that's you know, and um, and I think that's all that all plays into it, you know, and um, and uh, so are you kind of speculating hardcore is almost dead? No, I, I don't no? think so at all. Cause, How about hardcore yeah. as you know it is almost dead? Well, this is another thing I told my buddy. My idea of hardcore doesn't matter in 2021 because when I came up the older people that were like 20 years older they looked at me the same way and I fucking despised them for looking at me a certain way you know mm -hmm. giving me the whole like you're the you know you're the fucking young kid and I'm fucking you know yeah like I like my and this goes back to, again, something that Reaper used to do very heavily is this whole, like, um, Reaper is the real hardcore kind of thing, you know? Like, and, and we're pushing real hardcore and whatnot. Real hardcore is a joke. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's all perception and, and whatnot, you know? And, and at the end of the day, like... Hardcore has nothing, and this is another cliche thing maybe, but it has nothing to do with music or fucking shirts or collecting records or anything. It's a fucking, it's a mentality that supersedes anything that we can like, you know, like describe. It's a, it's a attitude. It's a, you know, there's so many factors that all go into it. Like when I'm out in Montana, and sit for nine hours on a horse and fucking count fucking cattle through a gate, that's hardcore to me. Because mm -hmm. I do what I want to do that makes me happy, that has nothing to do with what the status quo thinks is normal. That's hardcore. Okay, and, I got you. That makes and, sense. And, and I don't care if anybody else signs off on that. I don't care how many uh, Brokeback Mountain jokes somebody is going to make. Um... Or, you know, same, I work on a cattle ranch, 
I fucking, I, I killed a good amount of cows. I don't eat meat. <laughs> you know, like they make fun of me all the time there. You know, I have no plans on starting eating meat, you know? Yeah. And they, and they call me a fag, you know, that's fine. You know, but to me, that's hardcore. You know, I don't do, I don't do what other people expect me to do. That's to me, that's hardcore. That's why I pat myself on the shoulder for doing my thing, going against the grain, fucking dressing the, dressing the, uh, and you know, this is not to say, uh, Hey, check me out. This is just to say, that's what, where I consider myself a hardcore kid. That's my standard. My standard is not a fucking push button heart, uh, warfare shirt, camo shorts and some fucking Nike kicks. That's anybody, anybody can do that, you know, but somebody, you know, some fucking fat kid, some super fat kid coming to a show in, you know, whatever work clothes and fucking having the time of his life at a fucking wisdom and chains show or any, you know what I mean? Like somebody just fucking being themselves going yeah. to a show and being themselves doing their thing, enjoying whatever the fuck they want to do. That's, that's hardcore. You know, all the clothing, all the fucking piercings, tattoos, um, you know, all that shit is, it's, it's all fucking at the end of the day, none of that matters, you know, like, well, what if you, if you had to pick a band that was the epitome of what hardcore represents in your opinion, what band would it be? Bad Brains. Bad Brains, the epitome of what hardcore is. Yeah, there's nothing else that, like, if everything else would disappear, that would be the one band that I would hope, as far as, you know, their uh, cultural legacy or, you know, whatever they leave that's the only band that needs to leave anything their music their fucking everything you think it's just because they did it did in your mind they did things their way uncompromised their way they did it the best musically they fucking i think they uh took it lyrically no matter if people agree with the lyrics or not obviously they had some questionable topics there but they they went outside of the fuck you society thing, you know, which obviously was a, a dominant theme in that whatever early stage of punk and hardcore. But I mean, the overall everything. I think that's the that's the bend of all bends when it comes to hardcore. Oh, I wasn't expecting that out of you because that's usually people, uh, uh, let's say a decade or so above your age go with the, with the bad brains. Yeah. That's, I mean, choice, young Patrick. What would you say? Ah, I mean, to me, uh, there's the bands I like, there's so few, so limited. And when, if you really get talking to me, I know so little about hardcore. Like it's, uh, it's almost embarrassing. No, you're, you're full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, so, all right. Well, 
To me, Just Mad Ball is the epitome of hardcore. Mad Ball is the epitome of hardcore. Uh, well, I, I see. I, I can. Yeah. Well, they're the for I me mean, the most relatable. To me, the most uh, consistent. Um, I like it, when it comes to the main thing, the music. I love the music. The personalities in the band, the way they operate, I like it. You know what I mean? I, I uh, well, I don't think Freddie or Hoya would be mad at me for my choice. And uh, I think even that's though, be very mad at you. No, I'm kidding. No. I'm kidding. I, I mean, by default, I would say they would go with AF, but uh, but I don't think either of them would be mad at me for saying bad brains. No, I mean, and, and AF would probably say bad brains themselves. If they were yeah, asking. you know what? I I wonder what Roger would say. I I'm I'm Roger see, his, his class. I think they would almost they're almost completely unified around bad brains when asked like questions like that. Seems they yeah. all love the bad brains. Yeah, I the Madball class. Really I don't know. Choice. I don't know where they'd go with it, but they'd probably say yeah. agnostic front. Yeah, I would. I mean, that would be my guess. And I mean, you know, neither of those choices, you know. Yeah, it's, years ago a, I would go with choice. with Agnostic Front. I would have gone with Agnostic Front, but over time, the Madball consistency and the output won me over. You know, more so than the Agnostic Front, which I, you know I'm raised on the Agnostic Front. That's the epitome. But at some point, like you said, the guard changed. You know, and it was Madball for me. But that, that's just me. This interview is not with Richie. It is with Patrick. Right. Now, let's, oh. let's get to Reaper Records. And let me ask you this. What is this your single favorite release from Reaper Records? Dude, you can't. I can't. Do, I just did. That's a fucked up thing, though. <laughs> well, I mean, everybody has a favorite. Like people that say, oh, I don't have a favorite kid. Yeah, you do. Just be willing to say it. Who's your favorite kid? All right. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is the stakehold trapped under ice seven inch. Um, that's incredible. There you go. That's a good choice. But I don't know if that's the. <laughs> I don't know. That's the first one that came to mind. I don't yeah. know if it's, if I ask you this tomorrow, it might be a different answer. I mean, right? You know, it's just that seven inch. And going back to talking about being being yourself and you know all that kind of stuff when i saw them they played here in um auburn new york which by the way is where roger did his vacation time in prison um oh shit yeah it's uh it's a 30 minutes uh southwest from here um but anyways i saw them there um right after the demo came out and i want to say they played there with cold world and um, man, that was one of the shittiest live sets I've ever seen any band play in my entire life. And it was one of the coolest live sets at the same time I ever seen. So there was it something was, about it. Uh, dude, it was fucking unbelievable. Nobody could play the instrument except for Sam. And uh, it was fucking on point. Like everything was so bad, but it all made perfect sense and it was like nobody was faking it like it was like it was amazing it was fucking amazing is it safe to say that that trapped under rice was the 
most important band during Reaper Records' uh, career? Yeah, I mean, Terror, having that as the second. I yeah, a lot of Terror. Who had more releases, Terror or, no. or Trapped Under Ice? Oh, Terror by far. Oh, okay. You do like almost all of their vinyl, right? Um, y yeah, not anymore because at some point we just kind of decided enough is enough and somebody else should should get to do stuff. Wow, um, Vogel gave the contract of the vinyl away to somebody else? What the <laughs> fuck? It, it had what to happen. What the fuck, Vogel? You should be we, ashamed. We just... um. We just did a tape together and uh, we did the Keepers of the Faith uh, 10 year um, anniversary release. Um, well, think of that. The, the run you had with both Trapped Under Ice and Terror. Wow. That's, yeah. uh, that's really, that, but, that, uh, that makes up for your mistake with Bane. <laughs> that was not a mistake. Um, ah, maybe a little bit. Come on, make a couple Fazul. So what? You don't like the band? Who cares? Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, I think that the terror seven inch was the second release and that really helped from the get go. But then there was, you know, a whole bunch of releases after that, that in retrospect, I don't think anybody cares about or remembers. And then, uh, uh, so t but terror was know, your second release. Yep, I think oh, so. Oh wow, that's pretty fucking yeah. dope. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So you, yeah. that's like a the journey with terrors and like, I mean, how long after that until Trapped Under Ice? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that was maybe ten releases after that. Okay, wow. I um, didn't know Terror was in the camp that early. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very very early. It it was either the second or third. I want to say, I know the A wall. Seven inch was the first one, and then it was either the Terror Seven Inch or a a Comp Seven Inch that was two. So they were definitely within the first um, two three releases. Okay. But but anyways, um, the Naysayer Seven Inch, their first Seven Inch is one of my favorites. Um, the Maximum Penalty LP, the uh, Keepers of the Faith LP. Um, obviously any of the New York hardcore shit, the Iceman seven inch, which I, that's was, what I was trying to remember. Yes. Um, wow. What a know, cool release. I mean, my buddy Renee that played drums in true blue and me, I mean, we love that fucking band. And then, um, and when that chance came up to put that seven inch out, the unreleased stuff, it was fucking I mean, that blew my mind, and then it blew my mind when, you know, Freddie let me do that 7-inch, the Mapo one, and then, uh, you know, Paul hit me up to do the Sheer Terror 7-inch, and I mean, all the New York hardcore stuff, that's what I was raised on, you know? Yeah. Um, so any any of that stuff, um, uh, you know, but... The, the Terror Keepers of the Faith record was a really big deal because Scott and I worked really, really hard on the entire... Um, we both hate when we talk about... Con when we use the term concept, but there was really a lot of concept behind it. And, and not in terms of like, well, this is how we're going to market it, but like in terms of like really 
like we sat down and we were like, we want to make this a record that will fucking in 10 years have as much importance than it has when it comes out. And that it's just going to be a timeless, a timeless thing, you know? And awesome. Yeah. And I think, and I'm pretty proud of, cause I think, uh, proud of the fact that I think that, that we, we, we did it, you know, and, um, we did it as a team and as friends and, uh, and, uh, um, there's many little components that I'm, you know, very proud of and, and, um, you know, but the chosen ones LP, you know, Ruben is a very good friend of mine and somebody that I, from the first day I met him, I always really liked. And, and when he told me about the band, I did the seven inch first and, um, you know, when he said, man, I have more songs and I'm like, man, this shit is not going to sell, but I really wanted to do it, you know? And, uh, and luckily there was always bigger bands that paid for the smaller releases, you know, or the bigger releases that sold less, you know? And, yeah. um, and that's how really Reaper really sustained itself. And, uh, if you look through the catalog, it all makes perfect sense because there was always a heavy hitter with uh, three or four great releases that, um, you know, you can do the math. They just know, didn't many, kick in or their band wasn't touring know. or. Yeah. Like, I mean, they say on tape offense, man, it's such a bummer because I literally couldn't give those records away. Really? No. I, I mean, I still to this day have, have, so many of their records here and it's Fuck, i wouldn't have such, thought that uh, uh, dude take offense man is i don't i don't get it man it's like such a underrated man you know and it, it the strange thing is like it seems like everybody is like oh they're fucking amazing but for some reason nobody needs their record you know and mm. and Maybe obviously some bands are just vine like some bands are just considered vinyl bands like we want that vinyl for whatever reason and another band that maybe gets gets the listens as far as like digital listening streaming but there's no interest in the vinyl or physical product is yeah, that a thing but but take offense should be the size of fucking code orange in my book yeah, <laughs> you know what i mean doubt. like they How should about, be fucking remember, remember fire and ice you put out that release i always liked that release yeah. that was yeah. a a a aj novello fucking did that one very cool release from what i remember wow. i haven't heard that in yeah. years but yeah yeah no very 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 cool shout out to flizza his mom just passed away oh sorry um yeah rest in peace flizza mom um he's a awesome drummer and uh, yeah that's a great release um dean uh dean have you guys ever done anything with dean um I can't no. remember his last name. I was in his well, studio uh, watching some people, you know, watching him work on some other people. Yeah. I'd, I'd never recorded there. So he recorded that one. He recorded Secrets of the World, Trapped Under Eyes. Um, wow, Secrets of the World. But I did, yeah, we did um, uh, pay AJ Novello to help them out in the studio with that one. Like as a producer? Yeah. 
that's cool. Um, yeah, I like that release. I did, I don't know how that ever did, or you know, if there was interest uh, behind it, but it, it, it did okay. It it did okay. You know, you know how it is. You know, bands need to tour to like move. Yeah, move yeah. Records, you know, if you're putting and, out a band that doesn't tour, it's kind of like, you know, yeah. what are you going to expect? Like, you know, you know, and they always had lineup issues, and um, but yeah, I mean, this, I mean, I. <sighs> Try, you know what? I'm actually trying to think of a release that I'm fucking, uh, you know, where I could be like, man, I really wish I would have never fucking touched them. And well, that is a, a question I was going to give. But before that, I wanted to know your favorite layout, your favorite artwork of any of your releases. What would that be? Um, oh, fuck. Um, the Keepers of the Faith LP is definitely up there. And that's as simple as the cover is. It's mainly for the cover. Um, yeah, that was really uh, strong, right? That was like that image was in great, uh, great dude, for merch. I think it was a knock, like it was some type of knockout punch. Did <laughs> like, you know, like as soon as you saw it? Or did you be like, ah, we'll give it a shot? Well, we see again, you know, again with all the Reaper actual label shirts, you know, it was just like having fun with things and look, you know, like actually, you know, collecting records for so many years and just looking at things. And when Scott came up with that title, instantly I knew, I, in my head, you know, that Slapshot, um, Back on the map cover, it's all it says is slapshot back on the map. Yeah. I was like, instantly, I was like, man, it needs to be like that. The cover just needs to be the title because nothing else matters. The slogan, the title of the record is is all that. There's nothing else more important. Yeah. So th there was no doubt in my mind that it would only have text. And... Um, and then it was just, uh, you know, the college letters, stereotypical hardcore letters. But I was like, well, I guess that's going to be the letters. So then we had to make the letters look not so, you know, run of the mill. So we ran it through a copier and did it all handmade and, and uh, made it kind of like have that little like um wavy look to it and yeah it looks like it's it's like a, uh on on a shirt that's being worn you know yes yeah. yep and um and uh you know so it's all kind of like little little things that all added up to this like and i hope people don't think i'm like conceited or whatever but it's it ended up imperfectly somehow you know, um, and, uh, and that's the thing too. I like, I always tell people when they, like when people are like, Oh, we don't know what we want to do for a layout. And, and, and then they come up with like shit. That's like, you know, like how, like, sir, like, I feel like turnstile influence in the last couple of years, how people do their layouts. It's all kind of like funky. And like, it looks like one of those rainbow colored lollipops with a, Band picture in the middle yeah, of it. Yeah, it's a lot of pinks and baby blues. You know what I mean? Like, it's like every five years, the band influence how people do their covers. And I'm always like, don't, 
don't go with anything like that. You know, like think about how you like, like what in 20 years, how, how you would still like something, you yeah. know, when you're like, you know, um, and then, and then try and, and go with that, you know, like, um, cause that's how things stand the test of time. You know, like, it's like, you don't, I think, I don't, I don't know how to play an instrument, but if I was to write a song, I would try to like, like, like if you rip off whatever um, Kate Perry pop song that might sell really good in 2020, but in two years, nobody might care for that style of music. But if you take a, a Rolling Stones lick that's tried and tested, you know what I mean? Like exactly, that yeah. somebody, somebody might always bop their head to it or a Black Sabbath riff or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, there's but things that, there's things that are like, it. you know, to the time they, they like, they, there's, there's things that are like eternal. And then there's things that are like, just, okay, right now this is cool. But like a lot of, a lot of this young rap stuff, the little, this little, that nobody's listening to their shit in 20 years, you right. know, but we got a, a, a dude like, you know, you name him Nas and he's going to be, yeah. we're already listening to 20 year old Nas songs to this day, you know? And we'll yeah, keep absolutely. Yeah. Or Rakim or like, you know, whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, you know what yeah, layout absolutely. was dope? It kind of was a throwback though. Cause you could see they they were trying to go with an old style, like hardcore old style, uh, early eighties, New York hardcore kind of vibe was that backtrack cover. Oh Yeah. That was cool. That was cool artwork. I always liked that one. Yep. Um, you know, the map old seven inch, you know, I begged Freddie to let me use that fucking seven inch logo. Um, you know, uh, that was real basic from what I remember, right? Yeah. It's from, it's from the dropping many suckers one, you know, and, uh, and luckily he was, he was into it and Busky did the layout and nice. And, uh, you know, but in my head, I was like, oh, it needs to have that. It's a seven inch, so it should go with the seven inches. And, uh, you know, like I, and I definitely always try to like, um, try to weigh in on layouts and, um, and, uh, and try to give my two cents to Ben's and, and, um, and uh, I'd like to think I never steered them in the wrong direction, but well, you know, you would have to ask all those guys <laughs> in retrospect what they think. But um, but that's something I definitely cared about, you know. Um, and being a label guy, you catch a lot of flack. You could you you could potentially catch a lot of flack. I dealt with like some bands that you know kind of thought I was I don't know not telling them the truth because they would think that they were selling more than they were. You know, have you ever come across that stuff? Have you ever lost friendships or, or nah. you know, that's good. That's very good because that's nah. kind of, that's kind of like a thing, almost like it's almost uh, inevitable sometimes that the band becomes like the enemy sometimes, you know, or the label yeah. becomes like the enemy to the band. You've seen it a million times. I'm no, sure the, the, one of the things I always, from the get go, I was like, there's no accounting. Every pressing you guys will figure out what amount of records you guys want. And that's it. You know, we'll, we'll break apart the, the, um, the pressing 
And um, it always worked out great for bands that played shows because, you know, I mean, I guess it's better to sell a seven inch for five bucks than get some stupid fucking 82 cents for every sold seven inch or I don't even fucking know how big our labels handle all that, you know, but yeah, I, I always, from the get go, I was like, I fucking, there's no way I can fucking like handle that, you know, like I need to handle everything. And on top of that, I need to fucking figure out in my web store. Free so that's what you always did. Just physical. You, know? you yes. based everything on physical um, copies. Terror. It doesn't matter who it is. You know, I mean, I dropped cases and cases at Trapped Under Ice's record release off. I mean, sheer terror. Um, it, I mean, it literally doesn't matter. Um, and uh, so now there has never really, never been anything um, that, you know. That's good because that, that happens sometimes. I found myself in a situation once or twice. They don't believe, come on, what do you think is going on here? It's like Capitol Records. Hey, I, I'm, dude, you know, the crazy thing is like, there's a whole bunch of people like Ricky from Backtrack, um, Justice. Um, there's a whole bunch of people that ended up starting labels. Um, and uh, they're all like, they're all like, why didn't you say something? This is really not all that much fun. And I'm like, I'm like, I, well, you guys wanted to do a label, so. You know? Now you fucking know yeah. you made a mistake. Yeah. You stayed in your lane, Justice. You're <laughs> you just know? a talent. Shut up and be pretty. Um, you know, I mean, I love that they all do it. And, um, you know, Ricky is doing a really good job, you know. And uh, what label does he do? Flat Spot. Oh, cool. Um, and, uh, and he has his shit together. You know, I get like him. You know, I always chuckle because I get like emails that, you know, like monthly updates with releases and Reaper always has been pretty bad with that kind of stuff. Mm. Simply because there hasn't been, there never was manpower enough for that, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, and, did you um, have some kind of, did Reaper have some kind of like uh, example? Is there like a label that you admired looking from the outside before you started yours that you wanted to kind of emulate? Um, well, definitely the classic labels, you know, Revelation and stuff, um, as far as, I guess, inspiration, but, um, Chris ran Bridge Nine, uh, when I, um, when I got ready to put out the first seven inch, I hit him up and I was like, Hey, uh, you know, we knew each other already and you know, I was like, I'm getting ready to start a label and um, asked him a bunch of questions. And he was like, you know, answered whatever questions I had. And he's like, let me know if you need anything else. So he was, he was there um, answering a couple of questions. And, um, but I really say revelation um, is definitely something that I kind of like, um, had in the back of my head for inspiration but i over the years when it came down to layout stuff i stole things from any any label going going back in history as far as you know inspiration no matter if it's high impact or smorgasbord or 
you know, Discord or, I mean, you name it, you know, I picked something apart and, and would use it um, for repos somehow, you know. And you're uh, a student of the game. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, I guess, <laughs> you know, I'm just a hardcore idiot. Like, like all of us. Ah, you know? come on. Don't say that. You're a smart guy. You're German. Germans are naturally very smart. We, we were taught that in history class. Uh, yeah, until you guys came around and fucking spanked the shit. Hey, listen, listen, listen. You guys were up to no good for a little while. Now you're behaving. Everything's going to be fine as long as you behave. <laughs> uh, we like your cars, though. We do like your cars. Yeah. You know I, what I, I like in Germany? I had some good soup, like some nice, fresh taste and good soup. Dude. I, I don't care about your soup <laughs> and I'm, I, I'm just going to break you, you break up your fucking soup story right here. Why? Yeah, why? Your, your, your podcast with Aaron talking about all this pizza stuff is fucking, it was killing me. Yeah. I, Aaron I, knows his pizza. Dude. I love pizza. I gained 30 pounds since COVID started. Damn. 30, 30 pounds, um, which by the way, that was one of the greatest podcast episodes ever, you know? Oh, good, I, good. Yeah. He was, he was like unusually, well, usually if, if you know him, you, that's his personality for sure, but he was very honest, no shame in his game. It was what it was, you know? And he, uh, well, yeah, it's, uh, it's also, you know, when he talked about depression and stuff, I think, I think, a lot of people in general, and I don't know about you, but uh, myself, and I know a great deal of people that that are uh, in our circles that all had, um, you know, issues, uh, you know, no matter if it's losing people um, that hit people really hard or uh, childhood issues. You know, I, I, uh, I had a pretty, uh, rough childhood, um, you know, which kind of leaves, leaves a mark and can, uh, you know, bring depression and all sorts of mental issues with it. And, um, and I'm glad that he, you know, um, you know, got his shit together and figured out. And, um, cause there's plenty of people that, you know, didn't make that turn. And, and, um, you know, as he said, you know, it could have taken, uh, that story could have taken a different ending in that hotel room or, you know, yeah. and, and, um, I'll never forget Vogel was the one that gave me an extra, he got the, so I used to go to Buffalo almost every summer. Vogel and I met in 94. And um, ever since, um, I would go almost every summer to Buffalo. And, uh, and in 98, um, he uh, gotten the demo and he had an extra one and he gave me the Death Red demo. And um, dude, fucking masterpiece yeah know? totally right and, and um and uh so aaron and i know each other for you know a good while um 
death red true blue toured in the states together um it, you know i mean he's somebody that that uh that i like uh like a lot and obviously he is a Im important figure in whatever you want to call it contemporary hardcore or you know whatever the hell and um and that's that's somebody that um needs to stick around for a long time and uh yeah and, and keep making keep making music because i do like that new yeah show. yeah it's a little it's a little busy for me but uh i i like it and i'm i'm glad he's doing doing it and um i just got the seven inch in the mail i i uh ordered it a couple weeks ago i just got it now i'm pretty Friday. sure on that episode i mentioned uh death threats cover of uh the hard way and that was that was a reaper release wasn't it um i don't remember if that's on that seven inch i thought it was it's like the uh the la last great sea oh no what's that um dead at sea is that it uh fuck let me look at my phone quick yeah i'm pretty sure that was yours and uh, i did love that and you see you don't even know your own fucking bands dude motherfucker uh, you're gonna break the guy's heart you don't even notice i love you aaron i'm aaron. looking right now i'm looking right now let's see because i got i bought it by the way i buy this shit i don't just you lost that c death threat let me lost see lost that c i don't think it's 2009, on 2009 the last it's four songs buried my heart sudden demise lost that c and the hard way 2009 reaper records fuck me you don't well, fucking even know that's 11 years ago. Do you know how many horse accidents I had since then? Yes, 14. Like, dude. Hey, I know that stuff. You should know too. Holy okay, I made fuck. that up. I don't know. Well. You bust your ass on a horse? Oh, dude. Twice a year at least. Really good. You know what I say whenever I see a horse? Huh. Why the long face? <laughs> oh, shit. I don't, I don't know. I don't really fuck with horses, man. They're a little too big for me. Like, you know what I mean? I like Dude, to be able to beat the shit out of anything I'm dealing with. So I don't I like hate, horses. Well, I hate walking and it's perfect if you don't like walking because those motherfuckers will walk forever. Well, you heard of a car. I mean, I hope, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, but you can really, it's kind of Volkswagen. Yeah. Yeah, come on. Nah, I like Dodge. Dodge. Oh, you are you probably a pickup guy if you're like one of these uh, ranchers. Oh, oh yeah. Even and, before that. Yeah. Well, you know? oh, yeah. like I mean, I got I had you on here a long time already. But what the hell got you into ranching? Like, why did you like? Do you know somebody that said you would like this, or how how do you even come across that? So, an ex girlfriend of mine. Man, you got uh, around, son. You got a lot of ex girlfriends. Huh? Uh, uh, oh yeah. Um. She's like, oh, we should go um, like horseback riding, and I'm like, no, we shouldn't. And Fancy. she's, I would have like, had, I would have had four comebacks right there for her. But go ahead. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> yeah, I know what you what you're getting at. Um, but she kept pushing this whole going on a trail ride in the country kind of thing, and eventually I gave in, and we went to this thing out here in the sticks and. Uh, and uh you know this kid there that was um taking care of the horses he was from montana 
and uh, he had a summer gig at this horse place out here. And uh, anyway, she hated it. After five minutes, she was miserable. And I was like, man, this is awesome. You're out and about, fucking out in the hills here. You don't have to walk yourself. And um, I started talking to this kid and he started talking about ranching and, you know, working cattle. And um, I know this sounds kind of funny, but I always liked Western movies as a kid. And uh, well, long story short, me and this kid became friends. And uh, six months later, I bought a horse. And uh, another couple months later, I took an internship out in uh, uh, Southern Montana, just uh, uh, above Idaho Falls. And um, and uh, then uh, ended up at this ranch where uh, I, um, I pretty much never left. They sort of adopted me and um, it's been uh, six, six years or so now. That is fucking um, crazy. And uh, yep. So I usually, well, I used to be out there about eight months out of the year, you know, I would go out there a month, come back for like a week, mm. go back for two months, come back for two weeks, so on and so forth. Um, uh, recently, um, things have changed a little just because of COVID and, and all this stuff. I drove out there um, for a wedding this past summer in June and I'm going back uh, at the end of February. Um, but, uh, you know, like anything else, this whole fucking world has been a little upside down. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but uh, the, the end plan is, or the, um, the game plan, whatever, is to end up out there permanently. Um, now, have you gotten any of your hardcore friends interested in this or no? No, fuck no. Not, not one? No. No, Jared, actually, um, the only person that you would know, um, or, well, the only person that you and I know um, that has been to the ranch is Jared, because me and him drove once from upstate New York here to the ranch, and then I dropped him off a couple of days later at the airport um, to, uh, I don't know where he flew to, but... Um, but uh, yeah, nobody gives a shit, dude. Nobody wants to sit on a horse fucking half of the day, fucking. Yeah, dude. Sound doesn't sound appealing. Dude, it's the best. How many do you still have that same horse? Oh no! And when my mom got sick, I sold the horse because I knew I would be stuck in Germany. Oh. And there, there was no. They gave her a couple weeks, and she ended up living, you know, for seven months. Um. But I basically, I went home for Christmas. She looked like shit. Um, took her to the doctors. She was diagnosed. Um, I I flew back home uh, for a few days uh, to figure shit out here. Um, I sold my pickup. Um, the, at the time, I was uh, doing therapeutic riding with disabled kids at this place here. Wow. Um, so uh, through them, I got rid of the horse. Um, 
And uh, I got back on a plane and went to Germany and, uh, you know, handled things with my mom. And, uh, you know, and that was that. Um, and on the ranch, the whole kind of horse thing is totally different. I don't, I don't need a horse of my own because there's 50, 50 some horses and we always ride different horses. And it's like a whole system, you know, because you put so many miles on them. You've got to use a different horse almost every day. It sounds kind of cruel to ride a horse. No, not at all. <laughs> they love it. They are, they are, dude, those are American saddle horses. That's they're fucking, right. They're fucking born and bred to fucking work cattle. That's the right. Old. American horses, not no fucking uh, yeah. Chinese horses that die in two <laughs> seconds. These are American quality horses. Nah, dude, they love it. They fucking... They almost don't even need a cowboy on it to fucking work a cow. They're fucking, they're awesome, dude. You know, when you fucking. You you killed cows. Like, where are you killing them? Like, is it like a, like a butcher thing up there or something? Well, so they got about 300 um, head of mother cows. And then they have about 300 calves. So it's about 600 cows. Um, And, uh. They sell them, they sell all the calves uh, at the end of the year and then uh, they get shipped off. And um, when we kill them, it's to either to keep them for their own meat or because they're sick. Mm. Um, So, and we just put them, so if they keep them for their own supply, we just put them down and then there's a butcher maybe like an hour away. The ranch is pretty secluded. And it's uh, 64,000 acres. Wow, that's fucking huge. Yo, so you're kind of like, what do you call it? Wrangling these things, these these, uh, cows, like like we would see in a movie? Yeah. Like a few guys on horses keeping all the the cattle in in like a certain area and stuff and moving them around? Yep, yep. It's exactly how... They still do that. In 2021, we don't have robots doing that by now. (laughs) Nope. It's, uh, it's, yep. Just like, you know, 140 years ago or so. That is crazy, dude. Um, and have, they have, get out there, like this is a little off the topic, but this is in Montana. Yeah. Yep. Have you ever seen a UFO? <laughs> what the fuck? No. Why? Well, I, I always see like out West, like those places, it seems like they're always visiting out there. So I took a shot. What do I know? <laughs> Nope. I've seen I've seen somebody with a ska shirt. That's a pretty uh that's that's the closest thing to a UFO. A ska shirt? Yep. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's there's nobody into the shit that you're into out there probably, right? Uh, dude, every time I mean that like when I saw that, I was like, oh, all right, that's what's up. <laughs> you know, and that's like you wouldn't give two shits seeing somebody. You, I mean, you would fucking, you know, shake your head if you saw somebody like that here and there. I was like giving that kid a nod, like it's fucking my best friend. You're like, hello, brother. <laughs> you know. Yo, that's um, wild. Like, they must be like, why is this fucking dude out here? Like, why is he? Are, is there other people like you out there in the sense like they just from wherever they lived in the country or the world, they just became excited about you know, horses and riding horses and the idea of a ranch, or you like, or they're all born into it out there. 
that I'd say most of them are born into it, you know. I mean, that ranch has been, they homesteaded there in 1884. It's the same family that put the, you know, first cabin up there um, that still owns owns the place. And You don't know the name know. of the family by any chance, do you? Nothing well. Nothing well. So is it called like the Nothing Will Ranch? Nothing well, yep. Wow. You're an interesting guy, Patrick. You're a little crazy, a little nutty, but interesting. Yeah, well. You made your way from Essen, Germany, which is a dreary ass. Looks like it's filled with abandoned factories, last I remember. A dreary ass city obsessed with heavy metal. You made your way to upstate New York to put out a, together a record label. And now you're out. <laughs> you're going out to Montana as a rancher. Like there's literally no other human being on planet earth that took that course of action. None. I would gamble then say none. Well, the job description is cowboy. Cowboy. That is sick. That is. Do you like country music at all? Oh yeah. Fuck yeah. Oh, Patrick. Everything just got flushed down the toilet. <laughs> just I always, I always have though. It has nothing to do with the one thing. It has nothing to do with the other. You don't like this new country music, though. They're talking about the six packs and the pickup trucks and no. on dates and stuff. All right. Oh, my and, God. No, fuck no. Just that's some PA shit. That's, that's, that's some PA shit. Hell no. <laughs> the PA, it's strictly ICP, brother. <laughs> so let me tell you this. Uh, I, I do construction on the site whenever I can for extra money. My area and, of expertise. Go ahead. And uh, uh, maybe two months ago, it's February now. November. It's sometime in November. This guy Rob, um, uh, this kind of somebody you've got to meet at some point. Anyways, um, me and him do a lot of jobs together, and um. We're working on this pole barn for this rich ass person that's basically going to be a pole barn slash hunting cabin slash fucking garage for his fucking RV fucking rig. And the owner of the place is like uh, stressing out because of the timetable. And he is like, um, I'm going to get these two Amish people. And this is like right on the, you know, going south on 81 here towards Scranton, mm -hmm. you know, like Bing Binghamton. Yes. Right on the border there, kind of like in the country. And um, he's like, oh, I'm going to get these uh, two Amish guys to uh, come help. And we're like, okay, whatever. And uh, so kid you not, these two Amish kids show up on a buggy and they're maybe like early twenties, and um, they don't got any tools with them though. And uh, you know they don't use any power tools. Yeah. Um, and that's like part of their whole like um, I don't know—is it religion or is it just a whatever? They don't uh, they don't own power tools, but they had no problem fucking stealing our power tools and using them all day. I was like, what the <laughs> I never worked with Amish people before. I've seen them fucking a million times, but I never had any interaction like that. So I was like, how the fuck is that against their fucking 
set of regulations, but they have no problem using them. Yeah, they you can't. Know what I mean? They can't use electricity. They can't have electricity. And when they when they use stuff to, at, at their own places, they use gas powered generators and like air tools and stuff like that. But yeah, they they can't. They're they're not supposed to have electricity. For, yeah, for a second, do. I thought you were going to tell me that you were going to become Amish. I thought you were going that you wanted no. to go and live amongst these Amish people. No, I, I was a, getting I'm nervous, a, man. I'm a happy DIY Christian. I'm, I'm cowboy baby. Hey, there's nobody more Christian than the Amish. Don't ever say that. But that's <laughs> that it. blew my mind, man. I was like, I was, I was like. I was like, those motherfuckers are totally going against their own shit. Yeah. Did oh they know God. what they were doing at least? Yeah, oh, dude. Yeah, they were like fucking monkeys, dude, climbing up the fucking rafters. And <laughs> I was like, oh, so I'm better them than me. You know, I'm like. Yeah, that's I'm funny, like, man. Yeah, I don't I mean, really live by any. Uh, I live like on the real east, like real close to New Jersey <laughs> in a place called oh, okay. Strasburg. So I never see any Amish people unless I travel, you know, pretty far from here. But uh, yeah, the the Amish thing in, in in PA is uh pretty wild. I I see Amish more in New York City than I do around here because uh they set up shops sometimes in the parks and they sell like homemade pies and shit like that. They go to New York, they pay like a local guy to drive them in a van and they bring all their goods, set up shop and sell them. They make good okay. stuff. I'll give them that, but they're funny looking. Uh, probably tastes really good. I wonder how that. Pe do you think that's Amish pizza? Uh, I doubt it. I mean, if it is, where, where do they get the good cheese? You know, nah, I don't think so. Maybe, I don't know. maybe their own version of, uh, of pizza. I don't, I wouldn't trust it. An Amish pizza has probably got a, a beard hair somewhere in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that blew my mind, man. That yeah, that fucking, is crazy. I was like, those motherfuckers. And they would just come, you know, he would have his fucking pipe in his mouth and his hand in my toolbox. And I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, you yeah. should have asked them about it. Said, hey, yo, homie, I thought you can't use electronics. What do you want to borrow my MP3 player next? Get out of here. Uh, yo, listen, yeah. I appreciate the talk, Patrick. I appreciate the talk. Uh, Thanks for having me. No, of course, man. And plus, we, we used to talk all the time. Then we kind of lost track with each other. So we got to keep keep oh, up again. You, you know didn't I mean? need Reaper anymore, man. That's not true. That's not, I always, I always, hey, I always harassed you whenever I could. I know. For what it's worth, I don't really talk to. I go, I I work, go to the fire department, work some more, go to bed at seven o'clock when I'm at home, and that's pretty much it. You know. What's well, I mean, Vogel explained to me you had some kind of weird issue with me, and you stopped talking to me. But I, you I are. You are fucking full of shit. That's what he said. I don't know. <laughs> you are fucking <laughs> full of shit. Nah, he didn't say that. I'm teasing. I'm going crazy. But hey, uh, you're going to be hearing from me. And I want to go to this ranch because I'm the type of dude that I think I could fit right in on a ranch. I'd be I running. Dude, you would love it. We'll go stretch fucking barbed wire fence for like a couple miles. Yeah, I like barbed wire. I mean, I could stretch it. I don't know. Like, what, what do you mean stretch it? It's made of metal, isn't it? How do you stretch it? You stretch it. Oh, like unwind it? Yeah, but then you got to stretch it. You know, you can't just nail it to the fucking fence post. Ah. You got you to gotta stretch it. And so this it is to keep to... The, the cows in? Yeah. 
See right there, I don't want to be mean to the cows. I just want to eat them at my convenience, that, but I don't want to kill them all. Well, you love branding. Branding? Ugh, that's kind of fucked up. I don't know if I'll I'll, okay. I'll send you some videos when I get off the phone. Of uh, of you branding a cow? Yeah. With the Reaper logo? No, not the oh, ranch oh. logo. Dude, get the Reaper logo just for one for the <laughs> next next copy. Well, hey, real quick before we end this yeah one of the biggest uh, marketing failures in my uh, career as a record label owner was actually posting a wrench branding thing accidentally on the repo instagram instead wow. of my personal one you must have some bad feedback off oh oh my god dude <laughs> they wanted to cancel you over that shit Dude, well, it was a couple years before canceling. Oh. Before canceling, before dude, I would love to get canceled. They can't cancel you. They can only cancel people that submit. If you'd be like, "Fuck you," I didn't do nothing. Shut up. How could they can't yeah. cancel you? But I, but I still, I don't know. I would just, I, I don't know. Once you, I, once you like, apologize, like a, you're done. Like, unless if you did something wrong and you're willing to say sorry, great. But if they're just like randomly trying to cancel people for bullshit, and a person's like, "Although I'm not guilty of this, I do apologize for all my infractions against X, Y, and Z." And the, like, shut up. You that's, just that's, yourself. that's a different podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. We could go on and on. We'll start a different one. It's called Cancel Me. I'm down. Yo, we should we should have a podcast where we just take examples of different cancellations and analyze them in detail. You know, yeah. how they started, how the people responded, how the, the victim responded, how the call-outers. It, it could be yeah. fun. Right. I think. We'll, we'll take this off the air and discuss it further. My man. All right, homie. <laughs> I'm glad to hear from you. Anything you want to add? Uh, just, uh, thanks to everybody that supported Reaper over the years and, uh, thanks to you for making this happening. And, uh, I don't know. Keep the faith. Keep the faith, baby. You know what? We're going to, we're going to make a uh, Reaper is going to be back bigger than ever. Cause I'm going to allow you to put out my solo rap stuff. So we're going to, we'll talk about that off the air, my friend. Con country record. <laughs> All right, homie. I'll talk right. to you soon. Peace. All right. Peace. Peace. Thanks a lot for listening. We really appreciate it. Post America Podcast will always be there for you. Don't forget that. Tune in next time for more fun with the boys. Until then, get your fucking ass out of here before I give you a smack, motherfucker. Who the fuck is this doing? This is post-America. You ain't shit, motherfucker.